The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Well, good morning. You know, last Sunday we celebrated the birth of Christ, and this Sunday we consider the start of a new year. And it's funny when these days land on a Sunday because our knee-jerk reaction is that You know, it's going to mess up our plans. It's going to mess up our traditions. For Christmas, it really was kind of a test to our priorities because if we say that we really believe that Jesus is the reason and Christmas is about Christ, then we'll be happy to change our plans and do something different and and special by gathering to worship. And personally, I loved it. Last week was wonderful. It was great. I wish Christmas was always on a Sunday. Let's just change it. Can we do that? Now, New Year's, you know, it's different. It's, it's a significant day, but not in the same way. There's no biblical narrative associated with it that informs our celebration But what we typically do at the start of a new year is is what? We reflect. We think. And so I thought Psalm 90 would be an appropriate passage to consider this morning because it's one of those, it's, it's the one psalm that's attributed to Moses. And the context, the context is heavy. It it occurs in a heavy moment of his life. One where we, um, where he probably had to stop and remember his life and consider what's ahead and rest in the promises of God. And so, um, hang on just a sec. So in, um, you know, a verse that stands out in this psalm is verse 12. It says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So this psalm is not simply Moses at the end of his life, but a psalm that gives wisdom to every season of our life. And before we read this together, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our great and gracious God at the At the start of this new year, we lift up the cup of salvation and call on your name, the name of the Lord, knowing that we cannot compensate you. We can't pay you back for the many benefits that you've given to us. But as those who drink from your cup of grace, we lift the cup and we ask for more. It's by your grace that we belong to you. It's by your grace that we are saved from the penalty of our sin. And it's by your grace that we walk with you, are filled with your spirit, and consider the days that you give to us. Lord, thank you for the grace of your word. Make us thirsty for it. Give us wisdom and hearts that are devoted to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, Psalm 90, is, it's a prayer. It's a prayer of Moses. It's this prayer, uh, it describes him as the man of God. 
And the context, likely, if you want to check it out later, the context is likely Numbers 20, um, where we read of the death of Miriam, his sister, and his sin of striking the rock in the wilderness, and that he's not going to lead his people into the promised land, and the death of his brother Aaron. So that's, that's the context of the psalm. Ask yourself, you know, if this were you, how would you feel about God? All of the years of service and all of the headaches of leading a stubborn, complaining people, and just one occasion, one mistake, and no promised land for you, and your sister Miriam, and your brother Aaron. It's good to step back from our circumstances, maybe the the hard season of life that we're in, and reflect upon the big picture of who we are and who God is. So let's do that now as we consider Psalm 90. Would you stand if you're able for the reading of God's word? Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. And establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, what a great prayer, huh? A prayer that remembers who we are and who God is. A prayer that that leads to repentance in the light of our sin and God's mercy. A prayer of renewal and one that rests in God. I also notice some of you are apparently very strong as you are 
over the age of 70, some of you. But in light of this psalm, I want to encourage you with four actions. And the first is to remember. Remember. Remember the context of God. The God who numbers our days, who numbers your days. For those of you who have trusted in God's gift of Jesus, remember the Lord is your rock. He is our refuge, our dwelling place. This beautiful psalm gives us this this grand perspective reminding us that before God brought forth the mountains or ever had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, he is God. Moses begins by remembering that, that this God, this picture of God, the everlasting God, the creator of, of all things, that, that he is our dwelling place. And this must have been his comfort and reassurance, knowing that he would not enter into earthly promised land. He would not lead his people there. But he looked to a better and an ultimate promised land, the dwelling place, the eternal rest of God. Is there anything more secure than this? And we want security. You know, you don't know what tomorrow will bring, let alone what's going to happen in 2023. James tells us to not boast about our plans, assuming that we're going to go to this town or that town and spend a year there and make a lot of money. And Moses says basically the same. He says, you're dust. You're like that morning grass that fades and withers in the evening. And so instead we ought to say, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And the point isn't that you shouldn't make plans. No, the, the point is, make plans, but the point is your life, your significance, your security is not in your plans or your presumed ability to carry them out because there's this context of God. God who may have something else in mind for you than what you expect. Something that must be better because, after all, he's God. And you're not. And, you know, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. So better to have confidence, better to have security in God who promises to withhold no good thing from you. There are new seasons of life. You've experienced uh, these different seasons. Some of you are refreshed and there's something new going on with your life and there's a lot of joy. Others of you are dreading this year and there's a lot of sorrow. There are new seasons of life. Sometimes we think that we're, we're in that last and final season, but there's more. There's either a change in this mortal season or a change from the mortal to immortality. There's always hope, always hope as a Christian. 
We need to remember that our dwelling place is not our plans and assumptions, but ultimately God is our refuge and strength. He is good. He is almighty. And we need to remember to trust him. And a part of our remembering, a part of of this context, this context is going to keep us from thinking that we're peers with God. Peers who can question him and challenge him and accuse him. So we need to remember what we deserve. We need to remember that God is only merciful to us because he has chosen to love us and predestine us in Christ. When we consider the number of our days... This is the context. The eternal God is our dwelling place. He made man from the dust, and to dust we shall return. God is eternal, and we are finite. He is the creator. We are his creation. Our context is not 2022. We might say, boy, that year just flew by. But we need to remember that with God, as Moses prays, a thousand years are like yesterday. There's a lot more than 2023 ahead for you. There's hope. We can learn from Moses as he remembers a bigger context, an eternal context of God and a promised hope for our future. And Moses knows the grace of God because remembering this context also means that we remember what we deserve. That God knows the sin that no one else sees in your life. That nothing is hidden from him. And like the people in Noah's day, what we deserve is to be swept away in the flood of his judgment. That's the context who God is, that he is to be feared. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And this wisdom will lead us to say, Lord, teach me to number my days. Give me more wisdom so that I don't waste it. And when Moses in verse 13 says, return, And how long? Do you feel that way sometimes? We think of the second coming. That's not what Moses has in mind, though there's probably a connection somehow. But think of this instead. When he says, return and how long? Have you ever had one of those those terrible, restless nights? Maybe you're miserable with the flu. And how does that night feel? You just want morning to come, as if morning is the answer to all of your problems. You just want the night to be over. You want morning to come. How long do we need to wait in this dark night? I can't wait until morning. And the sun will rise. And there will be a new day. That's the reality. So when Moses prays, return, O Lord, how long, have pity, he's remembering that the night doesn't last forever. And that as much as he deserves God's wrath, 
God has chosen to love him with a steadfast love. A love and relationship that brings satisfaction. And you want to be satisfied, right? It brings satisfaction and joy in your days. Remembering who God is. Moses prays in verse 15. Make us glad. Let people see your grace and power and blessing in however many days you give me. So at the start of a new year, remembering the context of God should affect, it should affect our motives. Our reason for making whatever resolutions that you, that you make. And I think resolutions are a good thing. Causes us to number our days, to think about how we want to be effective for the Lord. But remembering this context, it, it affects the reason that you make the resolutions that you do. In other words, what's at the heart? What's at the heart of your resolutions? Moses prays for a heart of wisdom. And wisdom recognizes that the satisfaction that we're after comes from God. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you, that you change what you resolve, but it should affect why you resolve it. Why do you want to resolve to eat better and exercise? Why do you want to read more or maybe learn a new language? Why do you want to make more money? Why do you want to take up that new hobby? None of these are bad. If you don't remember the big picture, then the reasons will probably be shallow and probably self-centered. But all of these could be for the sake of God's glory as well. Why? Well, I want to have more energy in my service to others. I want to grow in my love for God. I want to share his gospel with more people. I want to give more for the sake of the gospel. That's why I want to make more money. I want to re refresh and grow and see how God is going to use this hobby or the people that I'm around. Remember. Remember that the Lord is your dwelling place, your refuge, your strength. That before the mountains were brought forth, he is from everlasting. He is the one we look to for our satisfaction. And so all of our goals should have to do with him. Eating and drinking and whatever you do can be done for the glory of God. This is satisfaction. This is joy. So the first action to remember is, is to remember. And the second is, surprisingly, maybe offensively, repent. When you hear this word, it comes across negative, doesn't it? Numbering our days in this way, seeing the big picture, examining our motives, will likely lead to some repentance, to a change of attitude, a change of thinking. And again, you know, when you hear that word repent, do you bristle? Do you just think it's a negative word? 
We don't tend to like this word because, well, it hurts our pride, doesn't it? We don't like being wrong. We don't like sin exposed or... But keep something in mind with this word. God, God in order to pour out his love and mercy upon you, he is the one who actually grants repentance. So we should hear this word and think of some very positive words like grace and mercy and love. At its heart, to repent means to turn or change your thinking about sin. I always have this picture of, you know, walking a path. So much of um, scripture talking about our spiritual life, we're, we're, it's our walk with the Lord. Or you think of Pilgrim's Progress and this path. So with repentance, I always think of you're walking this path and the, and the path is leading in the direction of sin. And repentance is realizing this is the wrong direction and repenting, turning, changing, changing direction in your heart, mind, uh, actions. Repent. So... It's a gift. The whole reason that we repent in salvation and in anything that we do is because of God's love, his grace. He grants it to us. He loves you. It's good for us. It's satisfaction, at least the, this path of satisfaction and joy and purpose. So at its heart, to repent it is to change. Sin is what is actually negative and not repentance. Repentance means that God shines a light on something that needs to change. It's him lovingly opening our eyes to something that will only make us miserable so that we can turn away from it. And this is incredibly positive because instead of walking down a dark path of sin, of pain and destruction, God turns us to Jesus. And repentance has to do with more than salvation. Again, there's this big picture of life and the favor or blessing of God being upon the work of our hands that we read at the end of this psalm. So I want you to think of repentance as something incredibly positive. That to repent is to rejoice. Think of repent and rejoice in connection to each other. We repent for the sake of joy, not guilt. We turn from misery to happiness, from foolishness to wisdom, from darkness to light. Repentance is a gift. It's a good thing. And we ought to thank God for it, knowing that he loves us and he wants our joy. It's like the sun finally coming up in the morning. After a miserable night. It's God's pity that leads to our satisfaction. Martin Luther said that all of a Christian's life is one of repentance. And this wasn't meant as a continual self-loathing, but continual rejoicing in the promise of verses like 1 John 1, 9, which tells us that God is faithful. He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us 
when we confess our sins to him. He is faithful and just because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross for us. This is good news. Satan wants you to think of repentance in a negative light. He wants you to stay in a state of guilt. Guilt that paralyzes you from relief and joy and living in a way that brings you satisfaction. He is your enemy. He wants you to avoid God, to feel that guilt, instead of knowing this refreshing intimacy with God. So here's an application. How are you doing with your Bible reading program? Are you reading God's Word? If you've given up on a program because you keep failing, there's a lot of people, a lot of us like that. It's frustrating. Um, But you can turn. You can repent. You can repent and start another one. This is January 1st. Turn back to the um, you know, or, or you can just pick up where you left off. It doesn't matter that it says you're in May. Just, just read. It's okay if it takes you three to four years. Just keep reading. Just keep repenting of the things that distract you from time spent with the everlasting God. The one who existed before the mountains were formed, before Roxanne existed. The one who will exist long after TV and social media. There are a lot of Bible reading programs. And the point isn't simply uh, checking boxes and saying that you did it. These things are a tool. They're a good help for your resolution to spend more time with your Creator. And if you're interested, as uh, Elder Steve Murphy pointed out in the announcements, there are a couple of Bible reading plans that we recommend. There are lots of really good ones, so the choices are plenty. Uh, One is our women's ministry. They use a plan that's, that's really doable. I think it's only one chapter a day, uh, Monday through Friday, and it takes like four years. So it's really slow pace big advantage is that you're, you have this accountability or you're, you're reading the same thing that other women in the church are reading. Another plan for those of you who, who get discouraged and end up quitting when you realize that you have 10 chapters a day for several weeks to catch up and you just give up. Um, another plan that we recommend, it's not dated. It simply gives you readings for each day of the week So on Sundays, for example, you read Old Testament poetry, like the Psalms. And then uh, on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, you're going to be reading uh, Old Testament history. And then um, I think Saturdays, you're reading New Testament epistles. So the, the setup is each day of the week gives you a different genre or area of Scripture. And if you missed some weeks, it's... It's okay, it's not dated. You just go to Monday and you read the next one. So I I like that plan. 
Both of these plans are available on our website. We've also printed both of them. They're on the back table. Grab copies of those and, and uh, pick it up. And I hope it's, again, it's just a tool and encouragement because it's so important for us to be in God's word. The, the one I just, the second one I just mentioned, I, when you pick it up, I don't want you to be offended by the name of the second plan. It's called For Shirkers and Slackers. So don't be offended by that. Don't be too proud to pick it up because here's the, here's the inside scoop on that one. Um, it was actually developed by the non-slacker Puritans. So that's just a modern name for it. It's a, it's a good plan. Also, if you're more of a digital person, I figured, that's the one I use. I figured out a way to actually put it in my phone's uh, daily calendar. So if that's kind of how you operate, see me afterwards and I'll show you how to set it up that way. But remember, remember the big picture. Remember why. Why you're doing this. The eternal God. You, you can commune with Jesus. We grow. We gain wisdom. There's satisfaction and joy. So remember the big picture. Repent for the sake of joy. And a third action is to renew. How about this? Um, is this maybe a new um, resolution for me that I'm, I'm getting points with the same, same letter start? i got R's going here. It's pretty neat. So the start of this new year, it's a good time to renew, renew the good resolutions of last year. But more specifically, renew the, the commitments that you maybe begun to take for granted. Mostly what I have in mind is, you know, don't busy yourself with so many new resolutions that you end up neglecting some of the biggest, most important commitments that you have. I'm reminded of this when I officiate a wedding and I hear vows that couples make to each other. I'm reminded of the, the beauty and the seriousness of that occasion as these vows, they're made before God. And as the years go by, we tend to get comfortable and forget. So renew those of you who are married, it doesn't mean that you have another ceremony. Renew your commitment to your vows, in your thinking, in your actions. It's a good time to pause at the start of a new year. And before you make any other re resolutions, renew your commitment to love and cherish your spouse in times of sickness and in health, in plenty or in want, in joy, or in sorrow. Life is filled with all of those things, right? Good times and hard times. We need to keep our promises. It's a, so it's a new year and we're reminded of the people most important to us and the promises that we've made. So it's a good time to pray for God's grace and to even think of resolutions that will help us with those commitments to love our spouse and our children, our family, our church. And these three areas of, of you know, spouse, family, church, they, 
they really should go together because of your commitment to the church, being involved and connected to others in the church. It's only going to encourage you to keep growing in your love and your care for your spouse or your family or your friends. And some of the best ways to love your family is included is to include them in acts of service within the church. And I see this in many of you doing things like including your kids when you when you stop and pray for someone, letting them see those spiritual realities and disciplines in your life. Uh, I see it when you bring your kids along to deliver a meal to someone or encouraging them to help and and clean up or to serve on a Sunday meal that we have once a month or helping if you serve at the Medford Gospel Mission, bringing them along. All of those things incorporate family and church and encourage commitment and growth in all of those areas. Renewing these commitments creates this atmosphere of godliness and grace for your marriage, for the raising of your children and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So January is a good time for for planning, for setting goals for 2023. It's a good time to examine your income and your budget and maybe renew your commitment to the Lord and His instruction to to give generously to your church for the sake of the gospel, joyfully, he says. And when I think of our commitments and making resolutions that support them and ultimately have the big picture in mind, I think of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, who is an extreme example of a man who made resolutions. I was going to put a picture up of his book, little booklet. He has a little booklet, 70 resolutions. But I thought that was kind of funny. So He's an, He is an extreme example. And what's great about his resolutions is that all of them have to do with the glory of God. He wrote... He wrote 70, and they have to do with categories, practical things like time management and relationships, suffering and character and health and exercise and spiritual disciplines. All of these, and they all focus, they all come together concerning the glory of God. None of them are compartmentalized because they, they all have the single purpose of wanting to glorify God. And as discouraged, uh, uh, you know, what was it? I went to a pastor's conference years ago. I think the, I think um, a biography was being done on someone like Spurgeon. And Piper was like, don't try to be like him. You'll just get discouraged because there's no one like him. And that's Edwards. Uh, he's discouraging to read because he's beyond brilliant. He's, he's incredibly disciplined, and none of us could ever hope to be like him. And I wouldn't recommend starting off 2023 writing 70 resolutions. Probably a bad idea. But still, make it a resolution just to read his. That would be enough. That would be encouraging to see this, this great and godly example, and really a an amazing humility 
as he relied upon the grace of God. Here's how he began his 70 resolutions. He wrote, being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. And I love the next line. He says, remember to read these resolutions once a week. Seventy of them. Every week he's remembering, probably repenting, renewing. So the way a Christian makes resolutions is not by willpower, but by humbly seeking God's grace to enable us. And to be so serious about our days and God's glory that we make a habit of reminding ourselves of these things. And we do so for the sake of renewing our commitments. The last action I want to encourage you with Maybe the hardest one of all, rest. And speaking of rest, I'm going to be resting with my family at the coast next week, so I look forward to Pastor Bill's work as he preaches next Sunday. But this, um, this kind of rest is not really what I have in mind. Uh, yes, physical rest is a gift of God. It's part of our makeup as creatures. Uh, It communicates something to us. It tells us that we are not God and that our bodies need sleep. We are dependent. We are not almighty. We see this pattern established at creation when God rested on the seventh day. And then the Sabbath was given as as a wonderful gift, not only concerning our creatureliness, our reliance upon God, but ultimately pointing us to rest in Jesus. Jesus, who said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Remember, instead of Moses... It was Joshua who led the people of God, those who didn't rebel, that is, into Canaan, the promised land of rest. And yet we read in Hebrews 4 that Joshua did not give them rest. And this may confuse us because we think, but he did, didn't he? He led them into their rest of the promised land. He did lead them there. But what the author of the book of Hebrews means by this is that Joshua didn't give them the real rest. The rest that this land was only a a picture of, a type and shadow of the ultimate rest of another day. A day when we would rest from our works because Jesus has done it for us. Jesus... Uh, His name is a form of the name Joshua. And he is the greater Joshua, who is himself our rest. For some, this this is really hard. They're driven, they're workaholics, and they just can't take that day off. 
And some have this mentality in their relationship with God, that God is, is maybe only pleased with you if you, if you check that, those boxes in your Bible reading program. You know, got to do it if you want to please God. This mentality that we need to work to earn his favor. And for others, you would quickly spot, well, that's legalism. I don't struggle with that. I know that I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, that salvation is not by my works. It's a gift of God, so that no one can boast. But even people who know this, who say that, we need to meditate on the truth that Jesus is our rest. Because we may know that we're saved by grace, and yet... Don't you still struggle with the thought that some days God is just disappointed in you? That he loves you a little more on the day when you've done your devotions? It's not true. Jesus is your rest. Yes, we can, we can please God with our obedience and our actions, but his love for you his favor towards you, it's because of Jesus. Jesus is your rest. And a more successful year will not make him love you more than he already does. Rest in his love for you and make resolutions because you love him. Not to earn anything, but because he is your life. He is your refuge. He is your strength. He is your satisfaction. I love the insight of St. Augustine who said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And while you're at it, a little physical rest is a good idea too. After all, I mean, December is exhausting, isn't it? Uh, one person wrote, Rest isn't a sign of laziness or weakness. It's a sign of spiritual strength and confidence that when we close our eyes, our lives are in the grip of a sovereign God. To sleep is to say that we're not God and that the world can go on without us. So as we make our plans for the new year, let's remember that even in our failures, we serve the one who remembers our frame and knows that we are dust. We make plans, but we hold them lightly. We entrust our future to the king who holds the world in his hands. Isn't that great? I hope you rest. Rest in Jesus. Uh, take a day off and recoup and rest and trust the Lord. Uh, for this day and for the year to come, whatever the Lord may have for us. Let's pray together. Father, what a reassuring truth this is. To know that the one who spoke everything into existence, the one who is from everlasting to everlasting, that you are our dwelling place, that Jesus is our rest, that there is nothing we can give or do that can ever repay this. And that you don't 
really want us to. You call us to obedience in many things. But you love us because of Jesus. You don't want us to have a mindset of payback, but instead a mindset that wants to worship you with our lives, a mindset that pursues you, knowing that you are our satisfaction. So help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Give us wisdom in what and in the why of the things that we resolve and everything that we do, Lord. Enable us by your grace to to keep these as long as they are agreeable to your will for Christ's sake. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.